We're in Acts chapter 20. Have you got your Bible there? Aren't you glad you got a Bible? Church family, I sure miss you. Thank you very much for showing up today. I'm glad that you're here. Someone wanted to give me a visitor card. And I tell you, it kind of hurt my feelings there a little bit. But uh, I'm glad to see you. Thank you very much for your faithfulness. Aren't you glad you have a Bible and God speaks to us? We've been going through the book of Acts. What a great book of the Bible. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And it kind of tells what God does in the lives of people whose Holy Spirit has come to live inside them in that early church. Jesus had gone up to heaven. His spirit came down. His people began living a spirit-filled life. And a lot of things happen. Now, whenever there's movement, there will always be friction. Whenever there are things going on that are good for God, Satan is not going to let that happen without some attack. That's just going to happen. And we see that through the book of Acts. God tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. He tells us about that. But now a lot of things have gone by. The Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. And I'm very thankful as I study his first missionary journey. He did with Barnabas. His second one was Silas. The third one, he is, uh, he kind of goes off on his own a little bit, picks up Luke and Timothy. Now he has done a loop. Let's look at that real quick. I think you have that for us, don't you? And here's a, of course, here's where he started his Antioch journey. He began here from the church where he was initially sent out from. And then he goes over to Tarshish, that's his hometown, and no doubt has converts and family members there. Then makes his way to Iconium, and that is the Asian part there, and also Ephesus, that is where modern-day Turkey would be. He would spend three years in Ephesus, ministering there, speaking at the school of Tyrannus, and then God calls him to go up to Troas. Troas is on the Aegean Sea there, and he crosses over there to to uh, Philippi, he's going to go to, to Neapolis and Philippi and, and Amphiphilius and Apollonia, and then down into uh, Thessalonica. Now he's going uh, all to these churches. He's already started back down to Athens and to Corinth, and uh, there he's going to go back up through that area again and make his way back, and uh, he's going to cross over. And when we come right now, that's where we're going to find Paul right there. He is gone this long journey. He's gone up and down Greece and, and into Macedonia and then to Troas. And he's going to come back into to, to several little ports there. And there we find him right here in Methylene. And Miletus is the next place. That's where we're going to find him here in Acts chapter number 20. And those of you who are hooked on geography, congratulations. You just got your geography lesson there of the day. But... Uh, this is what kind of happened. Let's go back if we can, please. In, the, in Acts, I'm going to catch you up just on a couple things. Now Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back there for the Passover. Because at the Passover, Jews from all over the world will gather again in Jerusalem. And so he's got a time clock clicking in the back of his head. I want to get back to Jerusalem in time to, uh, to encourage the church and spread the gospel to more Jewish people. That was his heart. That was his desire to do that. As the, uh, as the Apostle Paul was going there, he had seven men traveling with him. Sopater and Gaius and Segundus and Timothy and Trophimus and several other guys are all traveling with him. Now, these are people who have been led to Christ in his missionary journeys, and they represent people in Greece and in Macedonia, and in Asia, who have gotten saved, 
and their churches have collected offerings, and these men are carrying money with them, and they're going to go back to Jerusalem, and they're going to share their testimony, and then give a financial gift from the Gentile churches to the people who paid such a deep price early on for them to get the gospel. So that's Paul's plan. They're traveling back with him in that way. And so Paul, he was in Ephesus, and he moves on to the other places. He goes throughout the place I just showed you. He comes to a place called Troas. That's a port city. And he is there just for a short time. He's going to leave the next morning to go to the next place. And he's preaching. It's kind of a comical story, a little bit comical. But the house is full. People are there. It's three stories in the house. And there's a kid named Eunicus who is sitting up in the window of the, of the third loft of the house. He is sitting there, and uh, there's, there's lights in the place, but there are candles and trying to light. And Paul has got a long message because he's leaving the next morning. So he's preaching all through the night. And he's got a lot to tell them, and people are interested. But Eunicus, gets, he, he falls asleep in the middle of the message. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in the middle of a message? Okay. Well, I would just encourage you, don't sit where you can fall out of a window when you fall asleep. That's right. Hey, some people talk in their sleep. Pastors talk in other people's sleep. Okay? That's kind of how that works. Well, Paul was preaching extra long, and this young man is up there sitting in the window seal, and he is listening, but he's on the third level. And uh, he's out there where the lights and probably a little warm up there. And he falls asleep and falls out of the window seal and falls all the way down to where Paul is preaching on the bottom floor. And when they see him, he's unconscious. It's not clear if he died and God brought him back to life or he was unconscious and everyone thought he was dead. But Paul stops his message, he goes down and he gets the young man and he holds him and he says his life is still in him, he's okay. But take him out and minister to him. And so they took the young man out and they took care of him. Paul continues to spend time with them. They had the Lord's Supper together. And at the end of the service, Paul prays with them and they bring the boy back in. Eutychus comes back in. I'm sure he's a little bit dazed. And, and, but everybody's saying, oh, good, he's okay. And everybody rejoiced. And Paul heads off to the next place. So I don't know why God put that in the Bible. Except for those who sleep in church, it's a comfort to you. And a warning. When you sleep in church, you might fall asleep and hit your head and, fall, and be taken up dead. I don't know. But if you know why God put that in the Bible, I hope you'll do that. Your study and your, your personal devotion this week and uh, write me a letter. And if you don't think about writing me a letter, don't worry about it. It's okay. But as God continues, he moves Apostle Paul. He makes his way down. And now he comes to the shores of Miletus. Miletus is about 30 miles from Ephesus. Remember, how long had Paul spent in Ephesus? Do you remember how long he spent there? Three years. Longer than he stayed in any one place in his entire uh, missionary work. He stayed there three years. And he trained a lot of pastors and full-time Christian workers, just like our missionary is doing in Patagonia. He is having a Bible institute. I have spoken to the group of people that he has uh, on Skype and on Zoom. I have spoken to his people. He's gathered there, and he has about 12 or 13 people. And I remember talking to them last summer, and they were all bundled up in coats and about to freeze to death. They had six inches of snow outside in July. (laughs) And I was talking to them as they were and gave them the lesson that night in their Bible institute. Well, Paul trained a lot of people. 
Because there's no success without successors. There has to be training. By the way, your job is to train somebody. My job is to train somebody. It's not good enough just to win someone to Christ. You need to help them grow in the Lord. Hey, listen, somebody needs you to help them in the next stages of life. That's why you ought to be in a Sunday school class and you ought to be involved. And don't just be someone who's taking in. Be someone that can give out. God gives to you so you can pass it on to other people. Well, Paul is doing that. He's done that. And two things. When he left Ephesus, they had just had a large riot that almost got him killed and some of the other believers there just a few months ago. So maybe he didn't want to go into Ephesus for that. But I think the larger reason was he wanted to stay focused on getting down to Jerusalem. If he went into Ephesus, people would want to keep him there and, and make him stay overnight and eat food and enjoy time. And he, would, he wanted to get away. So he stayed at the port and he asked the pastors from Ephesus to come out and meet him on the shores of Miletus. Let's find our passage of scripture, Acts chapter 20. And let's look real quickly at this if we can. And uh, look at verse number 17. And from Miletus, that's where he was, his boldest part, he sent to Ephesus. And he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know that from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I had been with you in all seasons. He says, you guys know, because I spent a lot of time with you, how I conducted myself when I was there. Can I just remind you? Your sermons whisper, but your life shouts. You probably will not remember this message, but you'll remember me. And if you don't trust me, you won't trust what I tell you. And the truth of the matter is that the same is true with all of us. He said, you guys know how I was. When I was with you for those three years, you saw me at every stage of life. Good times and bad times. Things were good. Things were not so good. Look at the next verse, would you please? Verse number 19. Here's how he behaved himself. He served the Lord with all what? He was humble. He had a mind that was humble, with many tears and temptation. There were trials that befell me by the line of the Jews. People were trying to plot my way to hurt me. You were there when that happened. Verse number 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and house to house. By the way, he said, anything that would help you, that's what I gave to you. I didn't hold back anything that would be helpful to you. By the way, that would be a good idea for all of us to do. Many of us are information fat, but we're application skinny. We have got a lot of knowledge here because God has given us a lot of light, but we don't give it out to other people. And it's a shame. It's an embarrassment. And it's one thing you and I are going to wish we would have one day been more faithful to help other people grow. But we don't want to take the time. We don't want to take to put the effort out. We got our own days. These are our days. These are my time. This is my situation. And we oftentimes, it just takes time to help other people grow. You can't leapfrog time. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian very long, you need to help somebody else in your sphere of influence grow and don't hold back something that could be helpful to them. And here's how you do it. It's show and tell. Remember Fridays at school years ago? Your teacher would say, oh, bring something from your house and we'll do a little show and tell. And you would show some, some map you went to this summer or some arrowhead you found in New Mexico or whatever. And you told someone about your, you showed them what you did and you told them about it. Well, that's the best way to help people grow. Show and tell. <laughs> Mentor and model. 
demonstrate, teach them what to do, and then show them how to do it. You know how the disciples knew how to take care of 3,000 people and help them get baptized in one day? They watched Jesus feed 5,000 and organize that. Jesus demonstrated for them, and then they watched, and they, and they did the same thing. More is caught than taught. And uh, I want to encourage you. He said, I've kept back nothing that was helpful to you. If it was helpful to you, I gave it to you. I helped you. And that's his testimony as he looks into the eyes of these pastors that are standing on the seashore out beside the boat he's getting ready to get on to. Look, if you would, please, at the next passage of Scripture as we look at verse number 21. While I was with you, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, look, when I was with you, you know this is true. I gave the gospel to everyone. He goes, I, I testified, I gave, out, I gave out the gospel to everyone, Jews and Greeks. It didn't matter what their religious background, if, if they were there in my sphere, I witnessed to them. And I taught them two things, repentance toward God and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone says, do you have to repent to get saved? Yes. It's absolutely a necessity. And repentance means you've got to change your mind. You've got to change what you thought it was to go to heaven and accept God's way. A repentance is a change of heart and mind about God, about our sin, about our way of salvation. You have to do that. You get someone who, doesn't, who, who wants to believe what they believe and still accept Jesus, they cannot get saved. They have to repent. They have to change. And put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a, it's like a one coin with two sides. I got a challenge coin here that was given to me by Miss Jennifer Ruth Green, and, and uh, she is, our, she is uh, running for a U.S. Uh, U.S. Congress. But she gave this to me, and it, it, was, it was cut off of, a, of a, um, an airplane um, um, gunner, and it was cut off, and they put something inside there, and it's got my name on it. And nonetheless, but you know, this coin is one coin, but it has two sides. And that's kind of what salvation is. It's one coin with two sides. One, you've got to repent. And, and change your mind. The other one, you got to put your faith in Christ. It's the same thing. It has to happen at the same time. And the same is true with, with thee. He said, I, I, I witnessed to everybody. By the way, do you witness to people? When's the last time you presented the gospel to someone, gave out a gospel tract, prayed that God would bring someone into your life that you could share the gospel with? Hey, listen, you got to figure out why you're still on the planet. Why are you still here? I said, Pastor, I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor to witness to people. Most of the people in the world that get saved, get saved. It's not a pastor that shares the gospel with them. It's a friend that shares the gospel with them. I probably asked 15 people this week, tell me what God did to bring you to Christ. Most of them said a friend told me. Most of them said a friend told me. One person said, you know, my friend was at the laundromat with me and began talking to me about Jesus. One man said, you know what, I, he asked me one year, my friend asked me one year, every day, come to church, come to church. And I said, no, no, no. He said, then my wife left me. And I said, okay, I'll go to your church. And I went one week, and I got saved. The next week, my wife came back. She got saved. So we had about three years of really rocky things, but then God brought us both to surrender to the Lord, and we live for Christ now. And now that was in 1996. And I thought about, thank God for a friend. Thank God for a neighbor. Thank God for someone who was witnessing to them. And Paul said, look, when I was with you, I testified. All the time, I gave people the gospel. It didn't matter who they were. I taught them that you needed to come to faith in Jesus Christ and change your mind about how to be saved. Most people do not know how to get to heaven from here. How many of you know how to get to heaven from here? Would you raise your hand? You know that? All right, then you need to tell someone else about it, just like Paul did. 
Because I was an example of that. Let's look at the next verse, can we please? The Bible says in verse number 22, And behold, now I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things shall, which shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost, verse, Holy Ghost, verse 23, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide with me. Would you read verse 24, everybody? Read it nice and loud. If someone's sleeping near you, read it so loud they wake up. Would you please? We don't want them to fall out of the pew and hurt themselves, do we? We want to look out. Be our brother's keeper, right? It's your day to watch them. Right, here we go. Verse number 24, ready us to read it together. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel. He said, you know, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but here's what two things I do know. That the Spirit of God has told me that I'm going to be arrested again, I'm, that bonds and problems and afflictions, afflictions are in my future. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God wants me to go to Jerusalem. And everything he just said happened to him. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but here is what's going to happen. I'm going to see handcuffs again. I'm going to be arrested again. And he was. I'm going to have problems and afflictions. And he had them. He just said, look, you know how I was with you at all times. Good times, bad times, in tears, sometimes through threats. And I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I gave you everything I had. And I showed you and I demonstrated to you. And I talked to you publicly in the, in the church. And I talked to you in your homes. Everywhere I went. And I gave the gospel. You remember that. And now it's time for me to leave you and go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen there. But the Spirit of God's made it obvious that I'm going to be arrested again. And I'm going to have more problems. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll find that that was both true. But then he said in verse 24, none of those things move me. I don't care. I'm not worried about all that stuff that might happen in my future. He said, none of these things move me. And the reason why is because he doesn't count his life dear unto himself. He says, you know why? Because I don't, it's not about me. My future is about God. My life is about God. What happens in my future? God loves me. He knows me. He's put, put me as a vessel of righteousness to give other people the gospel. I don't care. Whatever happens, none of those things are going to move me. Because I don't count my life dear unto myself. But here's what I want to do. I want to finish my course with joy. Lord willing, next time I speak to you out of this passage, I want to talk to you about several things that will help you finish your course with joy. Everybody's going to finish your course. You know, one day you're going to die or the Lord's going to take us home and you're going to be done. You're going to sign off for the final signature on your autobiography, unedited. You won't get to change anything you did in your life. You can't go back. I'm 54. I can't go back to being 53. I can't change a blooming thing that happened to me when I was 50, when I was 20, when I was 30, when I was 40. That stuff is in the books. Today is the first day of the rest of my life, and I have a chance to make some adjustments only in my future. If you weren't faithful to God last year, you can be faithful to God starting today. If you have been a lousy dad or a lousy mom, or you've been a lousy son or a lousy brother or sister, you've been a lousy Christian, that's your past. 
You can make a decision today, and you, here's what you got to say. Nothing's going to move me. I am not, I'm, I'm set, here's what God has for me. I don't know what it is. As long as He's with me, I'll be okay. And guess what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. What's going to move you? The truth of the matter is, there are many people who have already been moved. At a Sunday morning where we're sitting together, learning the Word of God, singing praise to God, thinking about the God of the Bible, some folks who used to be here have already been moved. What you want to decide is that's not going to be me. I love that little quote. I think you can finish it for me. All of us, all the way. Can you say it with me? All of us, everybody finishing strong for the Lord. Nobody limping across the finishing line. Everybody staying faithful to God. All of us, all the way. And Paul says, I don't know all that's going to happen to me, but this is not going to move me. What is going to happen? The difficulties, the challenges. And he says three things are not going, to, not going to move me. Number one, pride is not going to move me. He goes, I don't count my life near to myself. Many people get their pride hurt. They get their feelings hurt, and that moves them from doing what God wants them to do. Someone hurts them in the nursery. Someone doesn't say hi to them in the hallway. Someone doesn't, uh, has a problem with them at school. And all of a sudden now they have moved. They've let pride move them. Only by pride cometh contention. He said, I'm not going to let pride move me. And what is pride? Pride is a focus on what I think, what I want, and how I feel. It's when I make what I think something ought to happen, how I feel something should happen, and what I want to happen be predominant in my decisions. And I don't consider God. Listen, the, the, the Bible tells us God's ways are higher than our ways. He thinks differently than you think. The way I think sometimes is stinking thinking. I don't think the right way. I don't feel the right way about a situation. I don't want the right, the right outcome. I have a, my outcome and God's outcome are too different. You know what? Pride keeps us from seeing it. Pride blinds a person. You ever talk to a prideful person? They don't see it. They don't get it. And I have been a prideful person. I have been that way, where it's just my way or the highway. They named a street after me, one way. <laughs> In my prideful moments, I have my own idea about things. But Paul says, I'm not going to let pride move me. Because it's not about my life. It's about his life through me. Boy, so many marriages would be so much better if people would lay aside and humble themselves and, and, and focus on three concepts. Humility. Humble yourself. Number two, honesty. Be honest with you and your spouse, you and your mom and dad. Listen, boys and girls, when your mom and dad ask you a question, you be honest with them. Humble yourself. Don't push for your way. And then holiness. That's a good trio right there. Humility, honesty, and holiness. Would you say it with me? Humility. One more time. I think if we would practice those three things, a lot of things would be ironed out in our conversations, in our communications, in our relationships with God and others. He's got, but you know what, what, what counteracts all three of those things? A focus on me. Pride. And pride hides. 
It, oftentimes, really, it's really sneaky on me. I think I'm, you know, it's like the guy who said, you know, how I obtained humility. <laughs> Writes a book on how he became so humble, you know. Truth of the matter is, he's, he's full of it. He's got all kinds of pride. The truth of the matter is, we can be that way. As young people and as, as senior adults, as teachers, as leaders, we just got to have it our way. It's a problem. Second thing I would say to you, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to let pride move me. I'm not going to let problems move me. Problems are going to come and problems are going to go, but you and I need to stay faithful to the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain the Lord. Well, you're going to have problems in your future. Don't let problems keep you from doing what God's called you to do. See, I've been working the Sunday school class. I've been working this bus route, and it's just not going the way I think. Keep on doing what God wants you to do. I've been working on my kids, and it seems like it's one step forward, three steps back. Keep on praying. Keep on investing. Keep on training. Don't let problems move you from doing what God wants you to do. And then lastly, don't let people move you. This is kind of a crazy thing. But the Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion fool shall be destroyed. The Apostle Paul told the people of Galatia in chapter 6 of Galatia, he said, or 5, You did run well, but who did hinder you? You know, every time uh, a man did a study years ago in, in a prison, and he interviewed 700 men in a prison who were there in part because of two things, addiction and anger. Addiction and anger. And he asked them this question. When you did your first alcohol, drugs, were you alone? Nobody but one answered yes. They said, no, someone was there with me. It was my cousin. It was my brother. It was my friend down the street that showed me that gave me. It's interesting. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you? You know, some people in your life are there to help you grow in the Lord. That's what a friend is. A friend is a help, someone who helps another friend do the right thing. But many of us have friends that are not real friends. They're companions, but they're not friends. Be careful who you spend time with. Be careful what kind of company you keep. My dad would say, you can't lay with dogs and not get fleas. You can't hang around with the wrong kind of people and expect it not going to affect you. He says, you know, I'm not going to let people move me. I'm not going to let problems move me. And I'm not going to let pride move me. Because I don't count my life dear to myself, but I want to finish my course with joy. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. And quite frankly, if I can think of all the things the Apostle Paul did, Brother Josh, I would like myself to be like this. I would like to finish my course with joy. Glad I did, not wish I would have. I think some people would finish their course with joy, but there's a podcast. There's a bad friend. There's a questionable relationship. There's problems that they have. And they just like, instead of facing their problems with, with wisdom and the power of Christ, they just crumble and go away. They, they, they let their pride get in the way from getting the help they need or doing some things they ought to do. He said, you know what, look, 
If God's got something in front of my path, if it's good or bad, if he's with me, I'm not going to let pride, I'm not going to let people, and I'm not going to let problems keep me from being the Christian God wants me to be and doing what God wants me to do. Someone says success is finding out what God wants you to do, ma'am, sir, and then doing it. There's no problem that's not common to man. Well, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, everybody's had a problem like that. Many people, millions of people have faced a problem that you and I are going through. But we don't want to let problems or people or pride keep us from doing what God wants to do. Let's have a resolve right now. Wherever you are in this auditorium or listening by way of live stream or on the radio, why don't you decide, God, with your help, I don't want anything to move me from doing what you put me on the planet to do.